you have probably had some wonderful, gracious guests in your home. And maybe you've even had some that weren't so gracious. Today, Katherine Sanders is here to tell us exactly the things we need to do to stay on the gracious guest list. I think some of these tips will surprise you. Hi there. You're listening to Happy Hostess Podcast with Christy Lalonde. I'll be sharing episodes each week to help you entertain and welcome guests into your home without all the stress. There will be guest interviews with party planning and hospitality experts that share their secrets to becoming a confident hostess. So get comfortable as we find the joy in celebrating life's big and small moments. Hello, and welcome to the 23rd episode of the Happy Hostess Podcast. I'm so excited to have Katherine Sanders of the social class in Marietta, Georgia, here to talk about what it means to be a gracious guest. I know you'll love to hear what she has to say. Thank you so much for being with us today, Katherine. Thanks for having me, Christy. I'm looking forward to it. It will be fun. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So like you said, my name is Katherine Sanders. I live in Marietta, Georgia. I have lived here most of my life. Grew up, was born and raised here, and now have the privilege of raising my family here. My husband, Mike, and I got married 24 years ago. We met at the University of Georgia and have three children. Our oldest daughter, Ann Hollis, is 21. She's a senior at the University of Georgia. Our second daughter, um, Mary Ford, is 19, and she's a freshman at the University of Georgia. And then our son, Walker, is 16, and he is a sophomore in high school at Marietta High School. And um, yeah, so that's kind of my background before, um, right after I graduated from UGA, I had a degree in advertising. And um, my first job out of school was to work for the Coca-Cola company in their special events department. And that was really fun and exciting time and got to do a lot of cool things with them. And then about two years into my career, we had our first daughter, Ann Hollis, and I was a stay-at-home mom for, I guess, about 13 years until I started my business. So just enjoyed volunteering and doing things like that until I started the social class. Well, we want to hear all about the social class too. What exactly happens there? Sure. So um, the social class started when I was growing up in Marietta. There was a lady named Miss Mary Madeline Wilson, and she had a cotillion class for us growing up. And it was a traditional cotillion class with manners and etiquette and dance. And we did it in middle school. And it was really a fun time for us to gather. You know, middle school is a time where there's not a ton of highlights. (laughs) Middle school is not everybody's favorite time of their life. And it was kind of a positive, fun experience for us to get to see our friends on a social level. And so she unfortunately had quit teaching the class for probably about 10 to 15 years. And there was a gap that nobody did anything like that in Marietta. And so as my daughter was getting older and approaching the sixth grade, I kept telling my husband, gosh, I wish there was something like we had growing up. It was so much fun. We loved it. And it was a good time. And so finally, after I'd said it about three or four times, he was like, well, why don't you do it? And I was like, oh my goodness, I've just I'm a stay-at-home mom. I've never thought about starting my own business. And he has a real entrepreneurial spirit and was like, I'll help you do it if you want to do it and, you know, help you 
think through things and get your business plan written and and all those things. And so I spent about a year praying about it and researching things and writing the curriculum and, and everything. And I would kind of toss it out to my friends and say, what do you think about this? Do you think anybody would sign up if, if I started a, a little manners and etiquette class for middle schoolers? And of course, they would, were so kind and would say yes. But then you think, well, they're your best friend. Of course, they're going to say yes. <laughs> so you're never really quite sure. And it's just anytime you start a business, you're just definitely taking a leap of faith. So anyway, so I launched it and it has pretty much kept the same. I've kept the same model the whole time. I've been doing it this will be my 12th year. And so I basically offer classes for sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And I have really, after researching, and it's it was really fun to kind of look at different models that were, you know, people did across the country for, you know, programs similar. But one thing I really wanted to do was to make sure that it was going to be an environment that children felt very relaxed, that they had a good time. And so it is not your traditional kind of stuffy manners class that people probably think of when they think of that. We try to keep things very engaging, very fun. We play games. And it is a lot of, as much as manners and dance and that kind of stuff, it is truly what I'm trying to help them with are life skills. So that is, that's my true heart is to get them prepared for life and to be, you know, ready. So one of my taglines is modern manners for future success. And so our goal is truly to teach life skills and to have them prepared and ready to go out into the world and not just understand the need to have proper table manners and that kind of thing. But we talk about all kinds of things about being prepared for your first job interview, about being prepared to go to your first high school dance. So each of my years are building upon one another. So when you start in sixth grade, you're going to kind of start with the basics and then we'll build up and kind of getting them ready to be launched into high school and for all the joys and excitement there. That is so good. I think you need to franchise because, (laughs) well, a lot of people have said that, but I just, I truly enjoy the teaching part of it. And, you know, when you think about your business, sometimes I think people lose the joy of their business when they get away from their true heart of it. And that has been one thing that has been foundational for me with the social class was I just really felt like God blessed me with this business and I always wanted to honor him with it. And I always wanted to honor my family. And so from the beginning, I I really kept stringent guidelines with myself about how much time I would spend working because I primarily want to be a really great um, wife and mother and sister and daughter, you know, and so I have not allowed what is a total blessing to me to become a curse by it kind of overtaking my life. And it has been truly a joy for me to be able to do that and to be able to co-mingle some of life's challenges and busier seasons and to still be able to have my business has been a really a blessing. That is wonderful news. It The boundaries really are the key in order mm-hmm. to keep something a blessing, like you said, because mm-hmm. I have certainly turned my work into not a blessing at times. Sure. And that is... I think it's a challenge for everybody, you know. It can be. And that's great that you were able to set those boundaries in place from the very beginning. And it's been fun as my children have gotten a little bit older, you know, and now all my children, you know, two are in college and the youngest one can drive. It does allow for a little bit more freedom on things. And so I teach a sorority recruitment 
workshop every spring for local girls. And some some folks have actually come from a little bit out of town to come to that. So that's been really fun to get those high school seniors and their mothers, you know, prepared and ready for shorty recruitment. And then I've done classes with younger children as well. And one thing I started last year was doing some prep for private school interviews for children that are trying to move from a public school to a private school or from one private school to a different private school and trying to get them ready for that interview process and what that looks like and just helping them to be comfortable in their own skin and be able to communicate clearly who they are as a student. And that's been a lot of fun. That's kind of been a new avenue I've been doing lately. And I love that they are getting this information from someone other than their parents. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that is truly, I feel like most children that come to my class, the parents are saying all the same things I am, you know, exactly. day in and day out in their home, you know, yes. but when you hear it from somebody different and when you hear it in a room with all of your peers, it really changes things. And so when we talk about going to your first high school dance and we talk about, you know, what it means to be a gentleman and expectations for the evening of the dance from the boys and the girls perspective, everybody's hearing the same material. And so everybody is kind of a little bit held accountable to the expectations that we've kind of laid out. And so that's really fun. And they kind of all have a baseline of, you know, to work with. So that's been a lot of fun. And um, I really am just kind of a reinforcer of parents and grandparents and teachers and things that these children have already heard over the years. Yes, it it does incorporate the positive element of peer pressure as well. Mm-hmm. It does. It really does. Now, what first drew you to your interest in entertaining and social etiquette? I would definitely say, you know, the cotillion class I had growing up was, was like I said, a lot of fun. And that was really what prompted me to think about my business. But growing up, I did have parents that loved to entertain and entertain, for, you know, quite frequently. And so... I really feel like a lot of people with entertaining, you follow the social cues of the home you grew up in. And so some of my friends who love to entertain also had parents that love to entertain. And then some of my friends that don't really love to entertain as much, I think didn't grow up in homes that their parents had people over. And so there's not quite that confidence or example set of, you know, what entertaining looks like, which can be, you know, ordering pizza with paper plates or having a really lovely dinner party with your silver. You know, there's a wide range, but I think if you haven't seen it growing up, that can be a little bit of a barrier to being somebody who loves to entertain and have people over. That is true. That is a pattern that I see often as well. And now today, what type of entertaining do you enjoy the most? Like small get-togethers, parties, or? Yeah, I, you know... I am a real people person, so I am always up for entertaining. And that was something funny when my husband and I first got married. I would say that was a source of conflict for us. He was a little bit more of an introvert, and he is happy just a night at home with the two of us. And I would always say, oh, let's have people over, you know, all the time. And so we have really found our rhythm with that. And so that's been really fun. But what I would say is, you know, one thing that we've been doing a lot of entertaining recently is entertaining at tailgates. I mean, we have hosted a lot of tailgates with our girls being in college and them going to school at our alma mater. And one thing I really encourage parents as their children are going off to college and they have students in college is to really take the time to invest in getting to know your children's friends 
because it will pay off dividends. And so a lot of times that could be you going over, you know, taking their friends out to dinner, hosting big tailgates, just showing up in college because it really is fun in high school and elementary and middle school. You get to know your children's friends because they come over to your house. But in college, it takes a lot more effort to get to know them. And so we have had a lot of fun hosting big tailgates. Um, which is basically just taking a party on the road, you know, which is, it's, it's a lot of work, but it is a lot of fun. We, you know, I love to host birthday luncheons for my friends. We love to have people over for dinner. We always host Christmas Eve at my house. So, I mean, it could be a wide variety of things, but I just love to be with people and I do love to entertain. So kind of any opportunity I get is a good excuse for me to do it. We don't even need an excuse sometimes, do we? <laughs> I know, especially after COVID. I mean, I really, we had, uh, I remember the first thing we did after COVID was we were just all just stir crazy. We had a big oyster race at our house. And I was like, you know what? This feels like a fun, safe way to gather outside with friends, be social. And it was really fun. And we just needed it so much. And Um, My husband loves to do an oyster roast. And so we did that and it was just such a blessing. And so we've tried to do that every year since then. And we were just craving time with our friends. It was just, you know, so I think since COVID, I've certainly not taken for granted time with family and friends together. Yes, it has definitely made us all appreciate what we were missing during that Mm -hmm. time for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, your family is in a really exciting time of life right now. Fill us in on what's going on. Yeah, sure. So um, our oldest daughter, Ann Hollis, is engaged and she is going to be getting married in two months to an incredible gentleman named Thomas. And we are just over the moon for them. And they're both going to be graduating at the end of May and getting married about two weeks later. So it is a very exciting time. And it's been a fun time. We have been on the receiving end of a lot of gracious entertaining. And that has been such a blessing to just, wow, it's humbling to receive the blessings that your friends want to give you to celebrate the joys in your family. It's been really, really fun. And then at the same time, preparing to host the biggest party we've ever hosted, you know, and so to look at it through both lenses of being the gracious guest and our daughter being the honored guest, you know, has been really fun. But then also getting to think of ways to try to make all of the friends and family that are going to travel to be at her wedding feel so special has been a lot of fun. You know, it is wonderful when we are on the receiving end, like you all have been of so Mm -hmm. much hospitality, Mm -hmm. But it really does bear some responsibility on us also. Mm -hmm. Um, I know all of us want to be gracious guests. So how would you describe that gracious guest? Yeah, I think being a gracious guest, it does take some effort. It's, It's not just showing up. So I think being a gracious guest is somebody who promptly responds to an invitation. You know, that could be a text. It could be an evite. It could be an engraved wedding invitation. You know, we we get invitations daily to engage and interact in, in different things. And so to be somebody that promptly responds um, means a lot. And I think that it's funny with weddings and wedding parties and, and that kind of stuff. I think until you're the bride or you're the mother of the bride or mother of the groom, and you're the one hosting a big event, you don't really realize how important it is for 
RSVPing and headcounts and, you know, so definitely being somebody that promptly responds to any invitation is really, really important. I would also say somebody that will keep their commitment. So, you know, with any invitation you receive, it is your option to say yes or no. But if you say yes, to be somebody that keeps their commitment and honors that commitment, I think is huge. And I think sometimes in our casual society, being somebody that flakes out of the last minute or has a better option and doesn't show up or whatever, you know, I think that is hurtful to to somebody that has taken the time to invite you to something. So if you do say yes, you need to be somebody that is somebody that keeps their commitment. And then somebody that offers to help in some way. So it's always nice if you're invited to dinner at somebody's house to offer to help, to bring a side, to bring an appetizer, to bring a dessert. And it's just, it's always nice to not arrive empty-handed. So you could even bring some flowers from your yard or a small gift, you know, of some sort. You could bring them a loaf of bread from your favorite bakery for their breakfast in the morning, whatever it is, just to not arrive empty-handed and to offer to help in some way, I think is great. Okay, how can we cultivate some of those qualities in ourselves and also when we want to train our children with these things in mind? Sure. One thing that I do with the social class, which has been fun and challenging for young people, is that if you are not able to come to class, I ask the students to call me and let me know if they are not able to come. So I have about 125 students in each of my grades. So that's quite a few students. And there's probably 10 each time that are not able to come to each class. And I asked them to call and let me know and not to send a text and not for their parents to email me, but for them to call. Because what I've learned nowadays is that children really struggle with making phone calls, which when we were growing up, that was not a problem. I could burn the phone lines up. I mean, <laughs> I could talk <laughs> all day long on the phone, but they are not used to that. And so I asked the parents to help partner with me in encouraging them. And it's really cute. The children, when they call, they're prepared to either speak to me or to leave a voicemail, which both are great life skills for them to learn, to be able to call an adult on the phone and have a conversation or to leave a proper voicemail. And so it's really cute. They put a lot of effort into it. Um, Some of them you can tell are a little bit more scripted, but that's fine because they are thinking ahead and wanting to leave the proper information if they need to. But it's been great and it's been great training and parents have really thanked me for that because they've realized, wow, I did not realize my child struggled with that. Like we really had to get hyped up to make the phone call to you. (laughs) So I think just, you know, not always saving our children out of difficult situations and encouraging them and letting them know how important it is to RSVP and to let somebody know in a prompt time um, if you can or cannot attend, I think is really, really important of setting that example. I think another key quality of um, being a gracious guest is being somebody who reciprocates. And we talk about that at the social class too. Sometimes people will find that they're invitations to things kind of start to run dry. And so we talk about, are you always a goer and never a thrower? So are you always somebody that goes, but not anybody, not somebody that initiates? And so we need to be people in life that reciprocate. And, um, you know, if a friend invites you over for dinner and to, you know, hang out, watch a movie, spend the night, whatever, you need to be somebody that also is an an initiator. Um, 
And so that's the same with adults. Um, You know, a lot of adults, like we were talking about earlier, don't feel super comfortable entertaining in their home for whatever reason. Your house could be being remodeled or you didn't grow up in a home where entertaining was something, uh, you know, that was demonstrated to you. Um, But that doesn't mean you can't reciprocate. And, And reciprocating could be taking somebody out to dinner. It could be inviting them to the Braves game. It could be um, getting tickets to a concert. So you don't always have to reciprocate in the exact same way, but you do need to be somebody in life that does reciprocate and treat other people, or you might find yourself, you know, with some of those fun social invitations kind of drying out if you're not somebody that also finds a way to bless and entertain others. That's such good advice. I love that your sneaky tactic of having them call you if they're mm-hmm. going to miss. Yeah, I know it's it's worked well. <laughs> I bet. I know that my daughter, she would have found every way to get to class <laughs> in order to not, not to have that. called you. <laughs> right. Right. It really is a challenge for some of them. Some children, it's really not at all. And they are very gregarious and outgoing and, you know, they don't seem to struggle with it as much, but some, it really is. It can be a challenge and it's cute. Some will leave a voicemail and they'll forget to tell me their name. You know, they'll say, hi, Ms. Right. Sanders. I'm not able to come to the social class. Thank you. Bye. And then the parent will say, you didn't tell her your name. <laughs> so they'll call back and they'll leave another one with the, you know, and it's just, it's good training on a very, you know, low consequence kind of a thing, but you don't want your first adult phone call to be when you're calling to accept a job position or try to set up an interview. You need to have some other training ground, you know, times, like I said, with low consequence that you can can mess up and it's okay. It's not a big deal. Yes, that is great training. And talking about the telephone, do you feel that communication really comes into play when it comes to being a gracious guest? It really does. I mean, communication is key, whether it is, like we said, you know, responding to an evite, sending in the wedding card to RSVP card to let somebody know you'll be attending and who will be attending. It could be something as simple as calling and asking what the attire to the event is. You know, lots of, lots of communication is involved in being a gracious guest, calling and saying, you know, what can I do to help? So you definitely can never over communicate and you just always want to make sure and extend, you know, just your thankfulness of being included and that kind of stuff. So I I do think communication is key. And what are some common mistakes that people make as a guest and how can we avoid those? Yeah, I think that was interesting. That's interesting to think about. You know, I will say this for me personally, as somebody who who loves to entertain. I am always using every spare minute up until the start of the party to get things done. And so one of my personal pet peeves is people arriving early. <laughs> Me so too. I, oh, my I just, number it, one. Oh, it's so hard. And people think arriving late is, is, you know, that's commonly thought of as inconsiderate, you know, arriving late, which, you know, there is a, a threshold where it is rude to be too late, but really arriving early to me is just really, really hard for me. I, I really struggle. It makes me very flustered. So I would definitely say arriving on time or, you know, five to 10 minutes late is great. 
Most people are using every second to put the flowers in the powder room or, you know, finish setting the table or, you know, putting the finishing touches on the appetizer, whatever it is. And so if you think you're somebody that's being helpful to arrive early, it's really not a blessing. (laughs) So I would say arrive on time or a few minutes late is actually better. You don't want to be somebody that just wanders through somebody's home. So if if you have your home, you know, if somebody's a first-time guest at your house and you want to have your house completely clean and they want to take a tour, that is great if you offer that. But don't be the guest that's just, you kind of find them wandering back in the children's bedrooms and the parent, the people are mortified because that was not quite picked up for the party, you know? And so that's that's definitely important. You want to be somebody that offers to help, but doesn't insist on doing too much. There's kind of a fine line. So if you arrive at um, a house for a dinner party and somebody is, um, you know, maybe doing the last minute touches on something and you you might want to offer to help get the crackers out for the appetizer or whatever, and they say, oh, that would be great, then help. If they say, oh, no, I've got it. It's fine. Don't continue to insist on helping. That can also create somebody feeling flustered or inept if you don't, if you're kind of communicating like they don't quite have it all together. So offer to help, but don't insist. Same thing at the end of the evening. I have had instances where I'm not quite ready for the party to be over, but if somebody insists on doing the dishes, which is a very nice thing for a guest to want to help you with, but it really totally kills the vibe of a dinner party If there's some people in the kitchen doing the dishes and you really want the party to continue with desserts and an after-dinner drink or whatever, and there's some people that are insisting on that. So you kind of, um, if somebody, if you offer to help and somebody says, no, really, I I really am great. I want to do this after y'all leave. Just take it at what what they're saying and, and don't insist on it because it can kind of be awkward sometimes if you're too pushy with your offers. And then the other thing I just was thinking a lot about how different people entertain. And I have a friend who is a fabulous hostess and she is super relaxed. She is very chill. And when you show up to her house, everything's neat and tidy and in order, but she likes to prepare the food while you sit and visit with her. And she likes to do it herself. She doesn't really care to have help, but she loves for people to gather around her island while she kind of cooks. And she often will do a simple table setting while we're there. She'll just put out a napkin and a fork and a knife while we're there. And that is how she loves to entertain. I, on the other hand, am such a person that loves to talk and visit and everything. And I am not somebody that is great at kind of having multitasking, I guess you could say. I have to have everything done ahead of time. I like my tables to be completely set. I like my food to be ready to go, except for if I need to pop it in the oven. I like to have everything completely done so that I can visit with my guests and not feel frazzled. Finishing up things while people are at my house makes me feel very frazzled and not put together. And so I think it's fun to see how different people are gifted. And there's not a right or wrong way at all. I wish I had part of my friend's gifts and talents in me that I could be more relaxed about it. But you kind of need to know yourself and know when you're entertaining, like what is the best way for you so that you feel confident heading into the party. That's so true. I am just, I'm just like you. I don't Mm -hmm. want anything 
to be left for me to do because I can't multitask well. I can't talk well while concentrating on what needs to be done. Exactly. I'm the same way. Now, we are always so grateful when someone has been kind enough to show us hospitality of some sort. Um, How can we leave a positive, lasting impression with our host? Sure. I think that obviously bringing a little happy along with you, like I said, flowers, a candle, you know, some kind of a small gift is definitely a way of expressing your gratitude for being included. Sending a short note afterwards is incredible. You know, always just to thank them and let them know how much you appreciated it is great. Takes you three to four minutes to write a a brief thank you note. And so when you think of all the time it took them to, you know, purchase the food, prepare the food, clean the house, set the table, et cetera, you know, just a short note is just being very gracious. Compliment them throughout the evening and let them know that you're noticing the details that they took the effort to go to. Know when to wrap the the evening up, you know, not overstaying your welcome, saying as long as you know everything is going great and having fun, but also knowing when it's time to kind of wrap up is important. And then reciprocating, kind of like we talked about before, you know, show them how much you appreciate and love their friendship by inviting them the next time and you you hosting them. Those are all excellent ways to do that. I like to ask all of my guests, um, what does hospitality really mean to you? I think hospitality to me is just making other people feel loved and comfortable and welcome in whatever space you have. You know, like we said, it could be in your home, it could be at a sporting event, it could be, you know, whatever it is, but just letting somebody know you cared enough about them to include them, to prepare food and flowers and a tablescape or whatever it might be to let them know that you are their honored guest. You know, they're your honored guest and that you care about them and and love them. And it could be, like we said, it could be ordering pizza. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. It's just the fact people love to be included and to be hospitable is to open the doors of your life to somebody and inviting them in. And do you have any tips for the new hostess? What's the like one piece of advice that you would give someone just getting started? I would say, um, honestly, you know, just have the first party, you know, just invite the first guest. That's the biggest hurdle. A lot of times is people are nervous and they think it's not going to be perfect and nobody is looking for perfection. They are just excited to be included So don't wait, you know, for your new rug to come in. Don't wait for your bathrooms to be remodeled. If you continue to kick the can down the road of excuses why you're not going to do it, there's always going to be something. So I would just say, just try it, you know, start small. A lot of times when I host things, I do a mix of preparing things myself and then I'll buy something. So, you know, it could be that you're going to have a dinner party and you want to, have kind of a Southern supper. So maybe you order the fried chicken from somebody because who has time to fry chicken these days, (laughs) but that you make the sides, you know? And so it doesn't have to be that you're preparing everything. If it's something you're not completely confident in, purchase it, but don't let some of those things be a hangup for you so that you never take that first step of having people over. And then if somebody offers to, to bring something, or to help in any way, accept it. I know I can sometimes be prideful and think, I'm going to do this myself. Like, I don't need anybody's help. When 
in the end, I really wish I had <laughs> allowed them to do something to help because I am like completely stressed out. It's like, oh my gosh, I wish that I'd let them bring the dessert. And so, you know, accept help if somebody is offering it. That's a great way to keep stress to a minimum is accepting help. That's mm-hmm. so good. And you're right. It's, it is usually pride that keeps us from wanting to accept it, at least on my case. Mm-hmm. That or control, either one. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we know that things don't always go as planned when we invite people into our homes. And sometimes that's actually a great story. So do you have any times that you want to share when things didn't go perfectly? I do. I... um. We have a very special, this is one of my top life memories, kind of a story. Some of our very, very best friends getting married. And this was probably about six years ago. And Atlanta had a terrible snowstorm in the first weekend of December. It was completely unexpected. We never have snowed that early. And it was a major snowstorm. And our friend was getting married that weekend. And I had helped her with the flowers. And so we were, you know, preparing for her wedding and so excited. Well, unfortunately, all of the power was out at her venue. Um, And where they were getting married did not have, it was a kind of an interior space. So there weren't any windows. And so no power equals pitch black dark. And they they were not going to allow candles. So it was like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Well, of course, her family had all come in town. And so I just... She was, of course, very upset. And I said, well, what if you got married at our house? And um, she was like, oh, my goodness. Well, when I say get married at my house, I don't know what house kind of house people are picturing, but we have a very small cottagey house. (laughs) It's not some big, massive house. But when we kind of figured how many of the guests we thought would make it, we were like, we're going to make it work. So our children had been playing in the snow all day. We had about three hours Our neighbors came over, they moved all of the furniture out of our living room, and we set up chairs, like basically like a little church, and she got ready in our daughter's bedroom, and that was kind of the bridal suite, and our little hallway was kind of the aisle. She walked down, and a a wonderful, oh, this lady sang the most beautiful gospel song, acapella, just she was like, I can sing. So she sang the song, and people were parked all in our yard, and I mean, it was the craziest most fun, incredibly blessed day I've ever been a part of to see so many people come together and have this wedding. And it was just, it will truly always be a core memory for our entire family and their family and just to see how the Lord provided. And it's just not always like you think it's going to be. And that's helped me kind of hold my own daughter's wedding with an open hand and just say, you know, the bottom line is we want them to get married at doesn't all have to be exactly perfect. And sometimes when things don't go perfect is actually really the best plan of all. It was just a beautiful winter white wedding that we just never dreamed of. It was, it was wild. That is amazing. I can't believe you had three hours to do that. It was crazy. I'd never even showered that day. I threw a dress on, (laughs) got out my dry shampoo. It was like, it was just like, all of a sudden she said, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're having a wedding, you know? And it was hilarious, but it was, I'm telling you, it was the biggest blessing for our family. It was so much fun. It sounds amazing. Amazing. It, it was really special. Oh, well, that brings us to our speed round, if you're ready. Okay. Goodness, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite flower? 
Mm, that's easy. Peony. Name a food you hate. Food I hate. Hmm, I'm not an oyster person. As much as my husband, I already said earlier, he loves oyster rice. I don't love oysters. I've really tried to like them, but they're just not my favorite. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite holiday? Mm, probably Christmas. It's just hard to not pick that. It's really the time where my family is the most gathered and just the happiest memories and, and just Jesus's birth. It's just my favorite. I think we addressed this already. Uh, do you have a pet peeve? Yes, I do. Yes, yes, yes. I would say, I mean, honestly, it really is people showing up at my house early. It really undoes me. <laughs> so I need to be um, obviously needing to set in my mind that the party's starting 15 minutes before it starts and being uh, more prepared. So part of it is um, my fault as well. <laughs> oh, I do that as well. And I still get annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. I'm like, oh, I needed those last three minutes. I can get a lot done in three minutes. You would be shocked. <laughs> yes. Or even just have three minutes to breathe. Would right. Be. Right. And what is your favorite all-time cookbook? Mm. Wow. Okay. So there is a cookbook in Marietta that the Junior League put on many years ago when my mom was probably in her 30s. And it's called Georgia on My Menu. And all the ladies in our community, you know, submitted recipes and there was a team that tested them all and, and everything. And it is a fabulous cookbook and the food there is fabulous, but it's also the memories of my mom cooking from it. And then knowing all the ladies who've submitted all the recipes, it is truly the best cookbook. And we have really just, everybody in Marietta loves it and it's special. And when people come up to you and say, oh, I made your mom's, you know, Heath bars or whatever it is, it just, it makes you feel special and a sense of pride. And it's just, it really is a great cookbook. I bet those are always the best ones, the mm -hmm. ones that people submit. Well, that wraps up our time today, but I am so grateful that you're here. And I know that our listeners are going to want to find you on social media. Um, where can they find you? Yeah. So my website is thesocialclass.net. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram under The Social Class. So I would love to connect with people there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending time today. I have learned so much from you. Oh, thank you for having me, Christy. It was really, really fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the happy hostess podcast if you enjoyed it please subscribe rate and review it on your podcast app it would mean the world to me if you need links for anything mentioned during this episode head over to happyhostesscollective.com and you'll find them in the show notes a new episode comes out every tuesday and i can't wait for you to tune in next time until then have a great week